0: I'm Chris Barker and I'm Will Betts and you're listening to the Music Tech My Forever Studio podcast. In this podcast we talk to artists,
1: DJs, engineers, producers and industry figureheads about their dream studio. A studio built
0: with a few rules but that they will have to live with forever.
1: Yep, there are rules. Our guests can choose a computer, a DAW and an audio interface, then only six other bits of studio
0: kit plus one other luxury item. But Chris, what if people want to pick multiple items that come packaged for sale as a single item? No bundles!
1: Joining us today is legendary Matt Black. Matt is better known as one half of the creative sampling pioneers, Coldcut, and also the co-founder of the amazing Ninja
0: Tune label. But Matt's influence on music doesn't stop there. Matt is also involved in developing forward-thinking software, such as the audiovisual instrument VJam, the intriguing new Jam Pro performance software, and hardware effects like the Ninja Tune Zen Delay. So, we're expecting some strong opinions from Matt on his six chosen items. Let's begin. This is My Forever Studio with Matt Black. Welcome, Matt. Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: You kind of got a little insight there into what we're all about here on the My Forever Studio podcast. So, let's start off with the three free items, which is your DAW of choice, your audio interface of choice, and I guess a computer. So, the only computer decision is, is Mac or PC, I guess. Where where are you on that debate? Or unless you want to go for an Atari?
2: (laughs) Well, you know, life started off with an Atari 1040, and that was what we composed a lot of the old cold-cut tracks on, actually, C-Lab Creator. But I think I would have to modernize. I'm not into being retro just for the sake of it, and today's tech and toys are pretty superb in a lot of ways. So I guess for my door, it's got to be Ableton. Over the years, I've used most of them, actually. I never got on with Logic. Um, and Ableton's got that thing that you've got the arrangement, but you've got the session view as well. So I like that. For a computer, um, I don't get into what hackers used to call holy wars, right, (laughs) about what is, I'm going to die for what I believe is is best, um, you know, Mac or PC or whatever. But what I found over, you know, more than 30 years working with computers is that Apple is a slightly easier life. So, and, and to actually give them credit, Apple have put considerable effort over the years into making audio good on their devices, first with their computers, um, and secondly with the iPhones and iPads. And what it's been a clever move that because it's gained them a huge kind of hipster following amongst musicians. And I think that's a big part of, of the allure of Apple that they've kind of built their now quite mainstream success on that kind of on that thing of being the, the the chosen platform for creative people and starting off with making audio actually work. So that was a smart move. And uh, so I plumped for my... Uh, maybe I, I did actually write to um, Tim... Uh, what's his name? Tim Cook. Tim, Not I Tim Apple, as uh, <laughs> he has sometimes referred. I, yeah. Tim, I, Tim, <laughs> Tim Cook. I wrote to him uh, uh, a couple of years ago, actually, when my laptop packed up. Um, saying, you know, there's a fault with these machines. And I must say, if you've got a problem with the company, write to the managing director. Someone will at least look at it. And within 48 hours, I got an email from a sort of VIP customer support person. They did actually give me a $1,000 repair on my laptop, after which they admitted there was a problem with those uh, that era. But I think... Now i 'd go for one of the new 16 inch MacBook Pros. I like that nice big screen. I was gutted when they got rid of the 17 inch range because with VJing and programs like VDMX, you need all that screen real estate. Mm-hmm. so one of the new uh, 16 inch ones and you can get it maxed out now with eight terabyte SSD, which is uh, again a slightly easier life yeah yeah, and such a world away from what we all started on <laughs> no, that's right that's right, you know things have moved on so um and what about the audio interface then? Uh, well, I was on. See, in the noughties, Apple went through a bad period when they were updating uh, or coming up with OS X, and shit didn't work for, for years. I remember talking to Brian Eno, actually, and at that time, he had, he had a full time audio engineer helping him, and they still couldn't get it to work. And he got so frustrated, he said one day, you know, oh, let's just make some. And he'd forgotten the word for music. <laughs> <laughs> because his brain had been clutched so much by the frustration of not getting the hardware to work that he was just about to give up. He bought um, 2 high Hi8 sort of multi-track recorders after that and went back to hardware for a few years. So Wow. And, and th- at that period, I sort of jumped onto the PC and we were developing our own software at that time, which was DJAM and VJAM. It was e- a bit easier to find coders who could do stuff on the PC. That was one of the reasons we jumped onto that. And... um so i was and i was trying to find a a quality audio interface and it, it took me about 3 years and i i wept literally on more than one occasion when i'd get send one back get another device plug it in that horrible glitching sound send it back try the next one and it was really so I suppose, no, that, I suppose that, that's
1: a real test of the audio interface. If you're using it live, that's when that's when you're really putting these things well, to the test.
2: Well, actually, uh, this was, in, in fact, in, just in my home studio. Okay. Um, so, you know, that was when we, I wanted professional multi-track recording, and I couldn't get it on the PC until I found the RME Hammerfall. And that was the, the only one that hmm. actually worked. And so um, I was grateful to them for pro- pro- providing something that didn't cause me to sort of bleed from the ears and tear all my hair out and uh so i've used them ever since so the last device i had in fact when i got my recent macbook pro of course apple did that thing binned all the useful slots which we all used oh, over yeah. the
0: years you know. well that was the thing with the 17 as well wasn't it It had, yep. all, the it had all the slots yeah exactly yeah, yeah.
2: Your, your firewire your ethernet your in audio in and out and yeah. um i you know didn't have any option, had to eventually move on from there. So I got this 300 quid dock, which has got everything on it, including mm-hmm. even Firewire, so that I could particularly, I could run my um, Fireface off it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that Fireface, I found it, I must have had it 10 years now. It, yeah, and it's still still a really good box. So there might be better things. I think a sort of um, USB-C version of that would, would be my interface. So I think RME are a good company.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, you hear that a lot about their driver support and they just... They, they just got just, it right, Yeah,
2: solid, you know. And it's that thing, I'm sure there's some bods listening and you can relate to this. It's, this this stuff is supposed to be fun. We're here to have a good time, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who's here to have a good time yeah, yeah. and not to just sort of be endlessly frittering your time and energy away, solving shit that should really just work. Yeah. So... um I'm sure we've all been there with that. And so to get something that actually does just work out of the box is a real
1: blessing. It just makes you really sad right before you're about to make music. And that's not good. <laughs> no,
0: I mean, I mean, I, <laughs> Unless you're making I, sad music, of uh, course. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, sad music is
2: cool, you know. But um, the, where you get to the point where actually, I think instead of, I've got this idea for a track, can't get things to work. I think I'll just throw myself out of the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. I've, I have been there with yeah. uh, hardware frustration. So I'm sure we all have.
1: Okay. Well, um the next thing we can, I guess we can talk about is um the location of this dream studio, you know. Flight of fancy here like where
0: <laughs> where yeah.
1: where would you put the studio? What does it look like? What's the vibe? This is the sort of I think I'll... You must have worked in lots of studios
2: over the years and seen uh, a not lot. Not as many as I'd like actually. Um hmm. I've sort of been do you know that feeling of sort of trying to swim to the surface. And never quite getting there. So, you know, eventually when I get to the surface, I'll be able to breathe, but there's always something in the way. But I, that's why I hope with uh, releasing Jam Pro that I've finally got my instrument and I can freak out and have a good time rather than, you know, k- sort of clawing up towards the surface. But, um, you know, one of my favourite uh, recording vibes has been on the beach in Goa in India. And I, I, before I got together with my wife, actually, I was sitting on the beach in a beach bar with, with her working on some... Um, sounds for a little multimedia thing for a film she was working on called little zizu which is a hilarious film um and i thought like yeah this could be my studio you're looking out you're literally right there and there's the sunset and the and the, the sea and um it's a nice vibe and you know actually i'm kind of a fan of the idea that a studio can just be a, a computer a pair of headphones maybe a couple of monitors and, a, and some kind of midi controller
1: well, don't speak too soon because... Yeah, you've still got six <laughs> items to, uh, to well, fill your well, studio I mean, with. <laughs> uh, on a beach in Goa, that's that's the setting. And, you know, are we talking like nice wooden kind of vibes? And kind it, of- it can be quite
2: ramshackle Goa. The kind of psychedelic shack vibe suits me well. I'm not into sort of designer furniture. But it can be very nice, but I'm quite happy with functionality a lot of the time if it's... You know, a seat, a good good chair, very important. Am I allowed to have a decent Herman Miller chair as part of my uh, my setup? We've decided that furniture is included. Included, yeah. yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, my Herman Miller chair, best three hundred quid I ever spent. Got it secondhand uh, many years ago. Now, there's a little story there. Um, I was having quite a lot of problems with my back, and this was about twenty five years ago. And there was this healer guy called Phil, and he um, was giving me some help with it. And he said to me you know, Matt, the most valuable piece of equipment in your studio is you. Do you take sufficient care of yourself? And I thought about it and I saw that there was, there was some truth in what he was saying. And he said, get yourself a decent chair. I was getting my back pains. I was getting RSI. It was just sort of starting to become a problem. Because I've been pretty, pretty relentless on the machines. I'm sure you can relate, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and I was starting to pay the price. And this was like 25 years ago. So he said, get yourself a decent chair, set up your machine so that the screen's are eye level. If it's a laptop, get an external mouse and keyboard and raise it up so that your eyes are eye level with the middle of the screen. And, um, and get an external mouse and get a wrist support. And I followed all this advice. And I've touched wood, pretty much managed to keep myself going Without suffering from a lot of the problems that people have from spending just too much time in an uncomfortable position, not um, giving their body the, the love and respect that it needs if we want to keep on using it and having a good time. So that's that Herman Miller chair, secondhand, I think they're like a grand new 300 quid for that. That's done me really well.
1: Well, as it's the forever studio, you want to be comfortable if you're going to be in there forever. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Completely true. You're not going to be sitting down forever, though. You have to get up every 20 minutes. Yeah. I have an app for that. Well, have a swim. You're on the beach. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yes, it's all right. good. Yeah. We've got the, we've got the vibe sorted. We've got, we've got your free items. So we can move on to the first of this your is. actual gear, gear choices. So I think I'll have a decent pair of speakers. Okay. So um, tell us about some of the speakers you've gone through over the years. I mean, well, I can sort of be a bit of a git
2: sometimes. And I sort of thought, well, why, why should speakers cost two or 3000 quid when I can get a decent pair for a two or 300 quid? And as all speakers are different anyway, and you never know where your music's going to be played, it doesn't really make sense to get something where everything sounds great. It'd be better <laughs> to have something where they're pretty average, and then you could work towards that. So I never really had any decent speakers. And then about Four years ago, a mate of mine called Darren Sangita, a really good uh, friend of mine and a good artist as well. He said, No, mate, you really should have some decent speakers. Um, I can't believe it took that long. <laughs> no, so, and he's a fan of yeah. Genelec. Um mm-hmm. And uh, now, John, my partner, he had lavished some decent speakers on himself a while before. He went for the, some dying audio. And uh, I used to go down to his students, like, Yeah, man, it really does sound good, doesn't it? Um, so Darren recommended I get the Genalex, and I don't always feel my ears are that great, to be honest. So if someone that I trust says these are these are good, you know, if he put me side by side with a lot of different speakers in a b i'm not sure i could tell the difference a lot of time i
1: think once you get to that real high end as well it, it does become really hard to tell the difference because they're kind of it's really really small the, the differences yeah because <laughs> once
2: and you, you get expect- immediately a
0: them i mean like did they- yeah 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 uh,
1: but
2: i mean everything sounds so different sometimes i play tracks on my laptop and i think actually this sounds great that the sort of they're so up front i mean i'm sure apple sort of fakely optimise it somehow but it does sound kind of good a bit like having the loudness button on
1: with Matt Coulton well it's the car test as well where it's just like like, exactly
2: or uh, our mastering um, we were mastering our new album a couple of days ago Mm. um, which I'm pleased to tell you exclusively is now finished and mastered all right um with matt courton at metropolis and we both admitted to each other that we were always fans of the loudness button on the uh, the amp you know sort of a guilty pleasure if yeah. you like but so one, did you
0: punch that in on the mastering was that like
2: not a- telling mate, not telling no, no. <laughs> what was interesting so, so i i I recorded a little segment with Matt walking us through one of the tracks and explaining what he'd done, which is um, I think we'll do a put on our Insta. Um, he's got his chain set up, and then you've got an A, B button. So, yeah, this is what it sounds like with the mastering chain on, and this is what it sounds like with it off. So you can just sit there punching backwards and forwards on the track, and mm. um, it's interesting to hear how consistently he would take each track up one click in quality. You know, uh, And I mean a click out of sort of zero to ten, a click is increasingly difficult to get as you yeah, hopefully uh, approach the diminishing quality. Returns, so it, yeah, it, diminishing it returns. returns. So Matt did a great job on that. Um, but going back to speakers, I mean obviously he had some fat speakers there. I insisted in fact that we listen to every track on a phone because let's face it, a lot of the kids... Yeah. <laughs> You, right? On yeah, the yeah. bus, they got their phone out. Headphones too, man. Headphones is the well, one. That's, yeah. yeah, but even the headphones is, is sort of luxury. At least you've got stereo there. So <laughs> you've got true, a yeah. tiny little... and, and I mean, uh, speakers, uh, phones can be quite loud nowadays. Yeah. Definitely a selling point for the yeah. youth is how loud your phone is. But you need it to sound good on the phone as well. And that means no sub. So you have to sort of imply the sub somehow with some hair, they call it. You know about that? Putting... Hair a technique where you put some little bit of distortion on oh, your yeah, soft, so, so that it brings it into the audible range.
1: You get the little uh, harmonics on the... Exactly, yeah. some
2: extra harmonics to yeah. make it more noticeable. What I
1: realized was
2: that the great thing about some quality speakers where stuff sounds really good is that it can help you put less into your track, right? Yeah. So I, I've always been a kitchen sink merchant. <laughs> And I hate it. I hate my own tendency to do that, to pile in more and more. Yes, I did great idea. This is a good idea. That's quite good. I it sounds better with this as well. And then suddenly you've souped the whole fucking track out and there's no space in a club. It doesn't sound good. Uh, And you know, I've so many times I've been in this when I used to work in big studios it's like, you just listen with a couple of things playing. It's like, wow, that sounds great. Sounds one, like one of those tracks that I really like. Then you bring everything in and suddenly there's no space anymore. And what I found was that having the Genelecs enabled me to make more intelligent choices about how much there needs to be in the track. Because when something sounds really good, you don't feel so um, so forced to add more yeah. and more to it. Mm-hmm. You know, Why have 10 layers of stuff which is quite good when you could have two layers of stuff which is mint? Yeah, so I think that's one well, of the that's, reasons. Well, I suppose
1: that's the thing. High-end, high-end studio monitors. It, you know, like like going back to what you said before, it, it makes it more fun. It makes it more fun. Exactly. It's that joy of sound. Yeah.
2: Um, which can be quite easy in one's joy one overkills it. Yeah, yeah. So that's a constant razor edge to traverse. I find as a, a producer.
1: So to go back to the exact speakers, you think in the Genelex then?
2: Yeah, I think I have my Genelex. I have um.
1: The SAMS, the big ones. Why not? Yeah.
2: I I won't stint myself here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you needn't. Uh, I, uh, I don't think I'd need a sub with those as well. Can I have a sub as well? No. No, no sub. Okay, so it's got to be some <laughs> Really? Is that the first time we've ones. done that?
1: You, a sub is a separate item. Would we not no. all agree? Is it?
2: It's very strict,
1: you'll make, Chris. It's a bundle. No bundles! No bundles! <laughs> <laughs> no bundles. Come on. Okay, uh, I, I'll
2: go for some fat ones then. Yeah. you have to tell me the models but i, I know think they're the, do bi- some the fat big
1: ones. the big SAMs um yeah they've got And the i can big... have a, a
2: nice party on the beach as well which uh, yeah is always popular in Goa. So. I
1: mean you can have Subwoofer, but it will be an extra item so you will have no, to see No i'll, what we I'll
2: get. go for my my a pair, a pair of nice fat Genelex um for my Aramble beach studio
1: yeah. nice nice <laughs> <Yeah>. okay <laughs> so moving on to item number 2 what would be next in the studio I think
2: I do need a good microphone. It's funny. This is a road, is it? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's all right, isn't it? Nice. It's yeah. better mm. than my, um, what well, have I got? The Audio Technica USB one I've got. It's all right. I think this, I think my voice sounds all right on this actually. I think mm. I might get one of these. Don't, or, don't
1: be shy on Will's exceptional production skills as well. Yes. Obviously he's uh, well, doing we, some the ears of the youth.
2: Some <laughs> secret magic. <there>. What's he <laughs> got? A bit of boost. I've actually got a bit of, of Apex big bottom on you. Oh, Apex big bottom. Has he got a big bottom?
1: it's been a while since i've seen richard say yeah uh, feel free to email us afex if you do have a big bottom (laughs) we'd um, love to have you on the show you know they, they
2: used to call lexicon the sound of money
1: Oh, Uh, because of that, like the uh, the little reverb unit, yeah, 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 you know, because you'd
2: see them only in the decent studios that cost a a grand a day, you know, because that that sheen, you couldn't get it. Bricasti
1: should bring that back, you you know, the Bricasti reverb units, yeah, the M seven, that's kind of the sound of money. I like that.
2: So, but now we can get it on a plugin. So decent. So, micron I don't know. My problem is, you know, I was thinking this. People have. Somehow, may have an image of me as a sort of um, wise old codger who knows everything, but I don't. I'm very ignorant about it, uh, too much, and uh, I don't know anything about microphones except I know that Neumann UA was it eighty seven or something. So
1: eighty seven, forty seven, sixty seven. Yeah. That's
2: the sort of one, isn't it? That's the kind yeah. of the sound of money.
1: <laughs> <laughs> basically, <laughs>
2: so, um, I feel a
1: theme coming on yeah, now with the rest okay. of the gear.
2: Um, but I think a, d- a decent microphone. That would be nice. That's a name that I've heard of. We have used them in the past yeah. um, and they are as, as good as it gets. So I think budget's no object, is it? Let's have a U87 Neumann in there.
1: Let's move on to item number three. Do you want any instruments
2: at all? Yeah, I think we'll get to some instruments now. Um, I think I'm going to big up my chest and say that I'm going to have my EMS VCS4 there is my own pride and joy it's a prototype it is basically a vcs3 in a mustard colored wooden box there's only one of them well there's two actually um i bought this for 300 quid off a guy in the tower block
1: in southeast london and um so it's not got the whole battleship design as that people might know from the the three. Yeah. it's a yeah, that, it, the matrix you mean yeah but it, it's it's the one we're looking at as an image oh, here sorry, it's, I thought it's, you
2: meant battleships like the game
1: yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. no it's got the
0: matrix it's got the patch matrix.
1: But is it that way around, like laptop-shaped? No. No,
0: because doesn't the VCS 3? Yeah, you've got the... Uh, so VCS3. Traditionally, there's the, uh, the matrix on the, on the bottom section and then the little joystick next to it. I guess it's
1: just how or it's wrapped. up. It's just a
0: layout, but basically, yes. okay. okay. the electronics are quite similar. So basically, mm-hmm. when I got this, it was
2: a bit fried. So I phoned up EMS, who are still going.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think... Was it Peter Zinoviev doing it all still, no but it was robin wasn't it right. i think uh, i think it was robin and he said i said i've got a vcs4 he said oh is it the cream colored one or the mustard colored <laughs> one i said it's the mustard colored one he said oh okay yeah you've got it have you um the cream colored one is two vcs3s in one box apparently so <sighs> who's got uh, that do we know, I know. <laughs> no i don't know big call out
1: that. just call out please do yeah. email the show if you i, if you've I got met a that. guy
2: in berlin right last year I don't know if you should tell this story because people would just be too ill. But I'll tell you anyway. It's quite funny. Um, his mate was at a, uh, a school in Germany, and they were throwing out a load of stuff. He got three VCS threes and an ARP twenty six hundred for fifty euros.
1: Uh,
2: yeah. It's a collective sigh from the massive yeah. of, of, of hatred and jealousy. <laughs> <day>. Oh, so <laughs> jealous. So, but then again, imagine how pleased the guy must have been. Yeah. So, you know,
1: well, we and we've we got to look at the, the positive. Him, so. He saved it from the skip because you exactly. know yeah, there's true, so exactly. many stories of stuff like that. I've, no, I know yeah. stories of people going to schools and saying, hey, where's that thing? And they go, oh, it went out last summer Love. when we did the <laughs> refit. And, oh, you know, dear. that's worse, isn't it? Well,
2: I mean, especially it's worse when it's the BBC. Yes. Who notoriously, along with chucking out a load of Doctor Who original tapes um got rid of quite a lot of the radiophonic workshop yeah. Some fucking middle manager decided that they needed the space and that this could go in the skip so um yeah at least we like say that it. isn't it they do this in cities as well like they tear down all the nice buildings when there's only like five percent of them left.
1: they're like oh my god heritage <laughs> yeah
2: it's too late <laughs> yes that's, that's exactly what humankind are doing with the environment to slide in a wafer thin eco point there
1: yes no it correct is. but um it's essentially a VCS3, though. It's not like yes. the other one, so it's just... the yes. it's, Yeah, okay, it's just... A, uh, my first case.
2: ever go on a proper synth was on a VCS3. Where, well, it was a Synthi 100, and um, mm-hmm. that was in Leicester Polytechnic uh, Electronic Music Department. And I mm-hmm. believe that Brian Eno donated that to them, possibly. Wow. And uh, my dad was taught sculpture there for many years, and he knew I was, into, I was getting interested in this stuff, so he arranged for me to have a day in the studio there. Um, I can't m- imagine that I got many great noises out of it but it was a real buzz and that sort of started the, the uh, interest. And then I had my mate Aidan Sutcliffe, he might conceivably be listening to this, I had a little um, posse of geeky friends at school and there were four of us and we ran a, a, a radio station uh, we were at Magdalen College School Broadcasting, it wasn't as posh as it sounded, it was comprehensive, but we were mud cone Sutcliffe and Blundell, so that was us <laughs> <our. laughs> yeah. and that we used to run a, a radio station over the school intercom so at lunchtime, people will come and get a speaker, plug it in. And we'd like record the top 40 at the weekend, and then play it off tapes. Nice. And then we started a disco. And then um, we were into, we found a, a set of decks, crummy old decks and an amp and speakers that were being thrown out one day. And we bought the lot off the youth club for five quid. So that became the basis of our school disco. Um, you had to rewire everything. And, and that was our housemaster as well, Mr. Palmer, who's a great guy r.i.p but he one day he came um, we, we, we it was a boarding school it was a comprehensive I've never been one thing or the other always sort of mixed up but he came up and said uh, I've got a radio set that doesn't need any batteries so we we're like what do you mean so he showed us this crystal set that he'd made which was just a little high impedance uh, headphone mm-hmm. a diode and a wire and that really started our interest in the electronics yeah. me and my, my sure. mates and it wound up with um, Aidan and me building a synthesizer out of Practical Electronics kit, the Mini Sonic Two.
1: Was that the the, mag- the magazine that you would like get? So yeah, many there was parts. A, each? There was a couple of them.
2: There was Electronics Today International, which was That's a bit more it. grown up. Practical Electronics was sort of mid range, and Everyday Electronics was the easy one. You
1: know. So and there was one. Wasn't there a, a bit of DIY kit, like Tandy yeah, or there something? There was a Tandy, as well, synth, yeah, yeah. a Tandy synth. as well. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: So the, you know, um, the, this was the Mini Sonic and the Mini Sonic Two. Um, I think this was the original Mini Sonic, actually. If anyone's got one, I'm in the market because there's a nice picture of it. If you do a search for it, you'll see it came in this little cute little pink and yellow box. So and what happened to it? Where did you... my one got skipped? I never finished it. Those damn schools throwing everything out all the yeah, time. Well, I, I did check it. I did take it to college with me and used to mess about on it. um I was too useless to sort of build a case for it. So the, the patch bay lived in a black magic box. <laughs>
0: um, so, the, the, cho- um, the dark chocolates, to be clear. The chocolate yeah. box. Yeah. Not yeah. one of the high-end so, video. No, no, that was <laughs> of, that has been black magic. Man. Was chocolate, yeah. yeah oh. That's right. Um,
2: but no, the, the, the key point about this is that Sooty, my mate, he, um, he worked something out, which was that you could take this design and modify it. So it was provided as a little synth with fixed connections between the units mm-hmm. but he worked out i don't know he was pretty advanced for a 14 year old basically yeah. 1975 you know that he could attach that the a synthesizer was about things controlling other things and that anything could really control anything else so he designed this patch matrix which he did using switches he found these really cheap toggle switches and he built on his one like a a big matrix. I think it was a twelve by twelve matrix of switches so that he could route anything to anything else. Not
1: so dissimilar to the VCS
2: three. Not so dissimilar to (laughs) VCS3, exactly. And um the what I got from that was like I I I only realized this recently, but that was the first time I saw that well, yeah, you could you could get a design and then you could take it further. You could modify it yourself. So um yeah, that was my first experience of of synthesizers. And that was in the mid seventies. I mean effectively that was a modular. Yeah.
1: Right? Because mm-hmm. yeah. modular
2: is not necessarily about modules. It's about being root, able to change the order yeah. of things that yeah. are rooted in Or at in.
1: least semi-modular if it made a sound without s- any patches. S- yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. I think it probably did default. To that. Yeah. So, that, you know, modular synth, 1975, respect to Aidan Sutcliffe if he's out there. He did go on to a career in uh, electronics, actually. So it makes it sound as if I'm a synth expert, but I'm
1: not. OK, we've done the synth then. So what do we, ha- what do we have so far? We've got, this, we've got
0: the X and we've got an instrument and then we've got a, a microphone. Correct. If you're into music production, you should also check out Music Tech magazine. In this month's issue, we round up the latest generation of exciting new gear that we're expecting this year. We talk to Coldcut and Ninja Tune founder Matt Black, electronic producer Space Dimension Controller and Norwegian DJ Orjan Nilsson. Plus, we give you our verdict on Waldorf's Kyra synth, the Softube Console 1 fader, the AMS Neve rmx fifteen five hundred Series Reverb, and Novation's new Launchpad X and Launchpad Mini Mark three. On top of that, we have a stack of tutorials for Cubase, Logic, Live, Studio One, Pro Tools, and FL Studio. You'll find all that and more in this month's issue. Subscribe now at musictech.net. Yeah. So, three more
1: three items for the studio.
2: I'll might no. I'll tell you what I'll have. I'll be hardcore here. I'll have an acoustic piano because I can't play note one. So that will be something to keep me busy into my old age. That That's
1: actually a very popular choice on the is podcast. That I'm glad to piano, hear yeah. you
2: Now My mates being Mixmaster Morris, my favorite chill out DJ in the whole world and a huge international connector of people and without which Ninja Tune probably wouldn't be in its present form, is being evicted from his flat in Camberwell after living there for 35 years. And uh, no one can afford to live in London anymore. They're going to trouble the rent. Anyway, he's out and he's got a piano in his house, which was a gift from the mother of my son, Key, actually, my ex, uh, Julia. And so Morris has had this piano. Um, now it's, he's being evicted and he can't take it with him. It's been enough of a of a game to get his 12,000 records safely housed somewhere, which of we've course, yeah. now achieved. Thanks to Sean for that. Um but we were up at my mate's brewery in Wood Green on Friday, the Goodness Brewery, highly recommended. He makes really good beer. And I don't even like beer, but I drank two pints the other day. It's not bad. <laughs> Impressive. And uh, we did a little jam there and the Morris uh, played some records. We thought, why don't we bring Mike's piano up here? It's a big sort of warehouse space. They've got space for it.
1: And is it upright? or? It's an upright. Yeah.
2: It's an upright. It's a nice old, it's got two dodgy keys. We'll get them hopefully fixed. And, yeah. um, do you know who Joe Amon Jones is? johamon mm. jones is a name to watch johamon jones is one of the brightest stars of the new london jazz scene so let's be fair south london jazz scene um so we've got him on four tracks on our new album so i speak to him on the phone i said yeah what, what keyboard do you, do you want Joe?" He said oh just get me a you know a nord uh a nord stage i think it was yeah yeah you know those red ones that yeah. oh, everyone yeah. uses yeah yeah so i was like okay sure ordered that in now al riley who's been engineering uh, recordings in London recently he said, Yeah, you know, I've got this. He's got a piano in his little studio in the back garden. He said, Do you want me to get the piano tuned, Matt, and sorted out and mic'd up? Because Joe might want to use that. And i No, no, he just wants to use the, the Nord. So, okay, we won't bother. Said, so, Joe comes through the door. First thing he says, Oh, you've got a real piano. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yes, but you know, we haven't mic'd up because he said he wants to use it. Said, well there's the it's the Nord's all right, but you know, you can instantly tell. You know immediately yeah. mm-hmm. um, that it's not the real thing, and as he's pointed out, you know, all those great records that have piano on, none of them were recorded on like a concert grand or no. or shit. Like, they were just like some old rickety yeah. piano, and they're mm-hmm. great. And we know that sound, and you know it's that is character, right? So, um, long story short, we got the piano sorted. He sat down on it and uh, played some really quite outstanding. Real piano licks on four of our tracks. And then at the end, um, I said, do you want to do a quick jam? So I dialed up the, the uh, my app, Jam Pro, dialed up a sort of ambient set of loops and stuff and just jammed with Joe. And um, that's become... What will be the last track on our album called swift gathering sort of ambient
1: amazing so that's like acoustic piano and the jam pro that's right that's nice yeah
2: (laughs) so this is my ambition that i can use my instrument now and i can play with someone who's a real musician and i can sort of keep my end up with some some good loops at my fingertips
1: so in terms of the the actual piano you're choosing for the forever studio are you going for an upright Uh, have you got any sort of preference or do you want that exact piano over there
2: As I was just talking about it yesterday with Morris and he sent me a picture of it, I think I'll have Morris's old piano because it's redolent with the vibes of the mix master. He's a very good friend of mine and uh, deserves to be more celebrated. So um, that'll do me nicely on, on the beach. Yeah, yeah, and I, then I can finally learn to play piano. I always thought I'd use it, technology to sort of save me time and not have to do the hard work of learning. <laughs> it didn't save me time. Here we are. Like, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> you end up, do you end up, do you end up <laughs> just doing all of that, all uh, of that well, you know, tech support so, stuff that I
2: presented. <laughs> well, well, on the other hand, I've made a career out of music, one way yeah. or another, I'm some kind of musician, whatever. So um, it's worked out. But I remember we used to have this piano. And I used to just like going and getting the bottom note and just playing it again and again and just loving that sound so much. So the, like I say, we like to mix things up. Yeah, I love electronics. I love analog synths. I love digital, you know. I often say you could make a number one record on a stylophone if if you could, you know what I mean, break out from mm-hmm. the, all the walls and rules that limit yeah, us sure. in what way we express ourselves. Um, but acoustic sound is a wonderful thing. One time we were playing with um, Steve Reich and we were doing music creating musicians, uh, electronic version with visuals. Um, it was actually the low point of my career because the computer crashed and it didn't quite work properly. Most people didn't realise, but I did. And <laughs> yeah. my parents were there as well. So oh, I was no. Sort of, but um, uh, it was actually, I've got a recording of a bit of it. It was quite... And, it was quite a good show because it was really audiovisual, trying to match... Do you know Music rating Musicians? It's my favourite piece of music.
1: The Reich? Yeah. N- uh, not well enough. <laughs> well,
2: you know, it's, it's a masterpiece of 20th century sort of post... You know, when people talk about post-classical, that's what they mean. Not just some guy noodling away, you know, with some ambient or whatever. So, a funny yeah. term, post-classical. But Steve Reich and Phil Glass, I'd say, post-classicals. So they are mm. proper trained composers who then decided to do something rather more avant-garde yeah. but out of the kind of the same you know starting point and yeah. totally went somewhere else and my point was um, listening to music for musicians in the audience um, is something I've, I've taken in quite a few performances and my um, my engineer Anik Tharpa who helps me a lot with all kinds of stuff especially with the app we used to go every year there'd be a performance in London every year and we'd always try and go and um I rather naughtily made a recording of one of them actually at the uh, Royal Festival. Well, don't say that. Those little. Just little.
1: Little quacky No, right. I won't. I, I
2: erased it. Sorry, officer. Um, <laughs> it was one of those tiny little uh, Eddie Roll ones.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, Just yeah, stick yeah, it yeah.
2: there. On the, on the, I was on the balcony. Stick it there. It sounds as good as the record. Yeah. It's astonishing. But what vibed me for the point I'm making is that um, acoustic sound is just so real and brilliant and everything reverberates in a real way. And I sometimes think of electronic sound, as soon as people get locked into this, oh, you know, I don't like MP3s. I don't like digital. I only like vinyl. Well, John Cage used to say, well, they don't use records at all because they make you think you're having a musical experience when actually you're not. So however hipster you are with your format, you know, remember that as well. There's always another thing. Actually, the whole of recorded music arguably is a waste of time live music acoustic music is the only real experience worth having i don't say i believe that but it's a point of view that you could defend if you want to put it out there and a piano when you play that and it vibrates and you vibrate and everything in the room vibrates
1: it's a thing you know it really is wonderful so maybe to counter that it's a question i've got to ask is jam pro going to be one (laughs) of the items i mean Uh
2: I've got to paddle my own canoe, as so I say. I've got to <laughs> blow my own trumpet.
1: But it surely you know. it was developed, it's developed you know, to satisfy a it's sort of need as, you had. It's developed as my instrument. Yeah. That's why I've developed it.
2: And so it's going to be there on an iPad Pro. I don't know if that counts uh, as it's two a devices. It's b- a
1: little bit oh. of a bundle there, really.
2: <laughs> well, okay. put it this way. It's no use
1: without a device, is it? So okay. you, you, think you might it. have to give me that one. I can have it. Um, and so i think we've just been bullied into uh, breaking our no bundles rule. i think we have i'll let
2: you have it on the sub come on now (laughs) i'm going to dig my heels in (laughs) okay fair enough Um, enough. the app is the result of a 25 year project to develop and a type of electronic music instrument which suits me and i i think it's definitely one of the best things i've made in in the 33 years i've been doing
1: this and do you think the the was there a moment you know you say it was a 25 year journey was there a moment when the ipad came out for example yeah. and that was like i can finally do that connect those dots
2: you know we had a version called djam yeah. even in the late 90s which we used for cold cut live and just to give you a bit of background right um john and i started making music in 1987 and we were in the first wave of people taking samples, people who got lucky with samples and sequences who perhaps weren't musicians, but were more coming from the DJ thing. It was great. You know, we we surfed the wave of that and it became a real thing. House music was taking off. Ecstasy was taking off. The 10, uh, Atari was taking off. There, there was a number of ingredients there, which kick-started that electronic music revolution, which is still rolling today and is, is sort of the dominant youth music culture. Let's face it. So, no, us and a lot of other bands. Um, I'm thinking particularly of Massive Attack, for instance, who are contemporaries with us. And I, I, I knew Nelly when they were still the Wild Bunch in the, with <laughs> the Dugout in Bristol. Um, and, so the thing is, we made these records, um. And then it's like, well, guys, we need you to go on the road, and we you, you need to play live if you want to promote this. People really want to hear this. So, well, we can just go and DJ and play our records. No, we, you know, a live show would be really good. It was a great challenge. Well, how do you take something which started off in, it's a bunch of samples and, and turntables in the studio and make a live experience out of it? Now, what I've seen is you know, there's numbers of people, us, Massive Attack, Uncle Tom Cobley, who've started out from that point and have taken and a bunch of different solutions to it. Solution one, take your whole studio with you.
1: Orbital. <laughs> Kelo Brothers yeah. originally, yeah. in kind of it,
2: it, It's a, it's a real ball lake. Um, and, um, you know, you know, the, the engineer's very important in the studio. It's not really suited to a live vibe. they sort of...
1: It kind of covers you up from the audience as well once you've got enough. Yeah,
2: it covers you up. You're hiding behind this stuff. You know, the, all your nice gear's going to get trashed by being on the road. So it's only really suitable for bands with seriously deep pockets. Um, and you know, are you going to take the whole SSL desk with you really? Because really they all, our stuff was all recorded on SSL with the phage automation and stuff. And, um, you know, you're not going to take a whole SSL with you. So it isn't going to be the same. So that approach never appealed to me. Uh, Approach two, hire a bunch of session musicians, get them to learn all your tunes and get them to play live. Now that's what Massive Attack did. And that worked really well for them. Um, People partly people it worked because people like the kind of rock band format and so they can interface with it it's something that people were happy and familiar with in a in a sort of live gig rock environment and you know when whoever's playing the sax does their solo everyone sort of applauds and so on i found it quite cliched and not really um it wasn't for us and I don't think our stuff would have translated so well. Massive Attack stuff was more song-based. Mm. Um, you know, I, let me put it on record. that I consider Unfinished Sympathy probably the single greatest track that our era has, has produced in all its sort of oddness and mystery. Um, but I didn't want to really get a band and hire a band either. It didn't feel right. And then, they, you know, what were John and me going to do? We weren't musicians. We'd just be like...
1: That's the other thing as well with so, technology. You can sort of alienate yourself from the the gig. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, we we could have been in the audience. So, you know, um,
1: that actually would be quite an interesting thing. Now, that would a bit more
2: avant garde. <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah was, I remember hearing yeah. a story about Aphex when he asked to DJ that. He just lay down on the stage and got his girlfriend to DJ. And so, you hear, he has these great, you know, I don't know if he did the. Yeah, actually, I was at a gig. In fact, he didn't play, and that's right. He did lie down. That's right. This, that was a benefit for parties for purposes. Yeah. <laughs> Another approach is like, well, we're just going to DJ and mix our records together, and
1: so it was a hybridized thing initially. I guess did you have some gear and some DJing? Or...
2: Yeah, we did, but you know, DJing implies records. Yep. Um, I did at one point as a Actually, this was the sort of safety play. If the audiovisual show using DJAM and VJAM didn't work out, we cut our tracks onto two sets of twelve inches. One was the backing tracks and one was the samples and stuff on top so that we could do some kind of DJ mix. I, mm. hope I still got some copies of those because they're pretty, pretty, pretty rare. But we didn't use them because our approach worked using the software that we developed. So because I used to be a computer programmer, I have a certain facile fluency in designing stuff. I know what I wanted to do. I was messing around with Amigas and stuff from time. And um, I thought, actually, we can make some tools that will run on computers and we can use those. And so that was the start of what became Jam Pro and that we started that in about 1995. I was working with Rob Pepperell. Um, we had a company called Hex and we were a sort of multimedia pop group and it was kind of a cold cuts multimedia and R&D arm. Um, and Rob was very central to developing that. And then there was VJam, which was the audiovisual software. And we used to run those on PC laptops. They wouldn't work on... The br- Normal Windows to unstables, so we had to run Windows NT on a laptop so it's always there 's always a workaround. you can find it, um, but it can be quite hardcore sometimes and it, as we started off saying, you spend all of your time trying to solve kind of technical problems, which it 's a kind of computer game buzz for a nerdy <laughs> type to solve see, I solved it you know mm. that was success, but it 's better if it just works yeah uh, sometimes, um, so that we went out using djam which was basically a four track loop engine which is the same as what jam pro is now so that was so the it,
1: initial idea really hasn't like the core of it is in the, a way the same yeah it, it's the you same know, basis.
2: I, I messed around a lot with ableton over the years as well like building stuff in ableton and getting behringer controllers and so on uh, I, I had an eight track mixer at one point and i found eight tracks was too much it, it, in the heat of the live gig i could get confused um if I did want to improvise, it's not just an 8-track mixer where you're just pushing the faders up and muting yeah. stuff. I wanted to individually deal with those different channels. It's
1: like multiple decks as a DJ, but four's about your limit. Four's about your limit,
2: you know what I mean? So I, I thought four. Actually, in Jam Pro Effects, we have five because we have the Stabs channel, which is an extra one. So I find with that, that's sufficient. Um, I just, very, very quickly, we got a deal. Ableton wasn't in existence. This was the late 90s. I knew I was onto something and I got a deal with Steinberg to develop this as a product. It, it, we never got there. I actually gave them their money back because we couldn't complete it. It was too ambitious. Um, you know, getting from having a working bit of software that you can use to having something that's a product mm. is a longer leaps than you might think. So I, I abandoned it and I was quite depressed actually. I sort of, I failed to deliver my baby. Um, and, uh, I gave up um, and then Ableton came out and I was like, well, you guys have done it. I went to Native Instruments as well. Uh-huh. They had one product at the time. It was called Generator yeah. that became Reactor. Mm. I said, look, we've got this. And they're like, well, a bunch of our guys have just left and they've started this thing called Ableton. <laughs> and like, it's really a lot of work. Are you sure you want to get into this? I don't, we don't think we can fund it. So I left it. And Ableton came out, and the rise of Ableton's been quite a phenomena over the last twenty years or so. Um, and I, I love those guys and work with them, you know.
1: Um, but do you think ultimately that was the direction that you wanted to go?
2: Well, it was. Pre- it was basically the. Okay. It, it was a powerful loop engine. That's yeah. why I was getting yeah. at you know, um, and those guys nailed it. You know, and uh, but then Apple came out with the iPhone. And I looked at it and I thought, well, there's two things here. Firstly, there's a new kind of platform that's touch-controlled. I like that. And secondly, they established this app store business model whereby you could come up with something and put it out and people could buy it all over the world. Now, previously, we'd been hampered by by distribution. Distribution. Mm -hmm. my, My... My boys at Ninja Tune would say, look, Matt, we don't know anything about selling software. We we haven't got a distributor. You want us to get all these boxes and get them into these stores. We haven't got any leg to stand on here. Um, We did put out VJam for a while. We made a couple of thousand copies. I think we ended up chucking a goodly proportion of them because we we couldn't get rid of them. The the, the mechanism just wasn't there. App Store enabled that mechanism. I was like let's do this but it took quite a while to get going as things do but in 2013 long story short we came out with ninja jam and um that was in collaboration with sipa who are a cool east london sort of techno don creative uh, startup and um we put it out and so we were getting there and then when the ipad came out that's a bigger interface it's nice to have more space really um And so it worked really well on the iPad. And then I thought, well, actually, I want to take this a lot further. So this newly released app is really the peak of all of these, this journey. It's been leading up to this. But, you know, I've been using Ninja Jam for live shows because we'd make our own packs for it. We get our own cold cut tracks, cut them into loops. Before that, we used D-Jam and and the DVJs and various other approaches. But this is the best so far. Um, And, yeah, I'm really happy to have got to that.
1: Point. Awesome. It. Awesome. So, where are we at? We have got five. That's five. That's We've five. One so, more.
0: And I just want to jump back real quick because you were talking about the d- the distribution mm, channels. Yes. Um, so, can you explain the story behind the the delay that ninjas worked on? What's, is that going to be
1: that going to be a, okay. a six item? I mean,
2: uh, I think I, I think thanks for reminding me. I think I'll, um, I've got to have my delay. No, well, the the um, the Zen delay was was delayed for, for quite a while <laughs> <laughs> i mean that most sincerely um so ninja have made our first hardware unit and it's called the zen delay and it's a collaboration with erica synths who are a leading modular and a boutique audio electronic company so um i was just looking at a, a nice review from um on youtube yesterday a guy who's really into it and uh he was describing, you know. Yeah, this interlay is this kind of weird, kind of. Uh, how do you describe it? You know, it's, 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 it's this weird collaboration, really off the wall between Ninja Tune and Erica since I was like, well, I thought it totally made sense to me. You know, <laughs> why not? You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, but I faced some resistance at Ninja Tune about doing this because Ninja Tune are doing better than ever, right? largely due to um you know new strategies evolving um and uh you know i'm i not much to do with me and jonathan the peter quick and his staff adrian kemp they run the business and they've made a big success out of it um so like why mess with with something you know what if people hate it what if people go like oh there's delays, crap what ninja do you think they're doing doing this you know could could impact us i was like well no it won't be like that because it's going to be wicked and <laughs> if people say that they can just sort off because haters going to hate yeah. and we know what we're doing so um but it was quite a bit of work to get it to the standard the way we thought like we're pretty bulletproof on this because this is really quality and that was basically having erica Synthesis as a partner and so when did the project start? I think it was about three years ago. Wow, so yeah. that's quite... Because um, that was when the first super Booth was. Yes. I went along and there were suddenly 300 companies making modulars and boutique audio gear. I was like, woohoo. <laughs> the people, people have been busy. Yeah. This has been growing like mushrooms underneath. And yeah. now it's suddenly shot up. Surfaced big, big respect to, to Schneider from Schneider's Andreas. Line. Yeah, Andreas. we want him on the podcast.
1: Um, Andreas, contact uh, us.
2: We did a, a good uh, jam with him at Ingmar Studio a couple of years ago. That was good fun. He, I mean, he didn't invent Euro rack, but he popularized it, and Dopfer yeah. popularized mm-hmm. it. And that, like MIDI, has been a technical um achievement, a technical decision which has facilitated. The whole thing to flourish enormously. Mm-hmm. So big respect to Andreas for that, and um, and respect to all the the the, the bods that have got into developing all this weird ass gear that is providing an alternative to you know the we've, look, we're all sitting here at our bloody laptops. You know what I mean?
1: Shh, it, shh it, it, don't tell. Uh, this is all going to tape, guys. It, it, it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so t- a tape's whirring around there in the corner if you can... Sh- There's a Studer 800 sh- in the corner.
2: <laughs> I mean, tape machines, honestly, they're one technology I don't miss. Yeah, know?
1: I think, I think uh, a lot of
2: people... Oh, why, why is that? <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. so we're in John's cousin... Uh, John's. We're in John's brother-in-law's studio. It's 1988. We're working on Doctor in the House, right? He's got a two-inch there, and we've got our master tape on it. But it's a bit weird because it hasn't got any sort of breaking facilities in on the tape control mechanism. So you have to sort of, when you're rewinding it, you have to sort of go toggle, you know, between fast forward and rewind, fast forward and rewind to sort of manually break it down. So I'm, so I'm operating the thing and I forget. And I just hit stop. The thing jams and the (laughs) the tape gets chewed. We're lucky to be able to salvage it. And it was like a really a bad moment. Um, and uh, so i, I never like take reel to reels after that so yeah even though we used to have one at school with the disco and they're, they're great they're great but um yeah i like things that work and when digital recording works it's pretty decent and all these bods that say like uh ah, you never get the sound more time well you put me in the studio and a b it i couldn't even tell the difference right. most people couldn't tell the difference between mm-hmm. a, a 320 M, a mp3 and a wav you know they might Say they can, can they really if they're blindfolded?
1: I doubt if they could tell the difference. We we, we can do a test now if you want. This is 320. This is WAV. (laughs) (laughs) Very naughty. I can tell. (laughs) I I can tell. I get it now. I I get it. Will, do you want to do us a rundown of of the items? And before we get to the final luxury item, which is non gear related, so. Um, but obviously you've got your furniture and that kind of stuff. So, Will, run us down what what we've got. Where are we and what do we have?
0: We're in Goa, India, on a beach in a ramshackle shack uh, with a Herman Miller chair in it, running Ableton on a 16-inch MacBook Pro with an RME Fireface UC, I believe, Um, a pair of Genelec SAM monitors, Neumann U87 for your microphone, Mm. the EMS VCS4 (laughs) mustard-coloured synthesizer, your very own from your own collection an acoustic piano an upright with the two dodgy keys fixed, mm. a WG Eve stuff, um, jam pro on an iPad pro and the ninja tune Zen delay. That sounds pretty good. It's decent,
2: isn't it? Yes. You've just fixed up my retirement plans, guys. Nice one. <laughs>
1: so to, just to, one to finish more. the podcast, what would be your luxury item? be? And don't worry about people like, you know, you've got all your loved ones, all that kind mm. of stuff, you know?
2: Yeah, this is a, uh, Reveal how, in fact, how sort of monodimensional I am. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you want more gear? Is that uh, what it is?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I might do. I might want my Canon 5D Mark that's- IV camera because the reason I'm saying that and being a bit boring and selecting another bit of gear is because I believe that visuals and music go together. and I'm, I'm as equally interested in visuals, image, as I am in sound. And um, that's been also quite a long decades-long struggle to work with that and get it accepted. It was not very long ago that my brethren, the VJs, you know, we would rock up if we could get into a club, we wouldn't get paid, we'd have to bring our own projectors they were really heavy Um, probably most people wouldn't even look at the screens and now, if you go to big electronic music shows, you'll see that visuals are part of the show, and mm. that's become accepted almost without people noticing. Which I'm a bit chizzed off about. Actually, <laughs> I think it's an art form. Mm, um, that's totally it is. And uh, well, a lot
1: of the big VJs as well have come from that same background that have you yeah. like have of been DJs or musicians that have in yes, you
2: know. yeah. There are no silent VJ shows normally. No. It's always audiovisual. Yes. I'd like to see more recognition of the fact that this is. An art, I'd call it audiovisual art, and uh, a, a nice camera like that with a decent lens. I got this macro lens for it recently. Not, I don't know anything about lenses,
1: and so on, But so we know nothing about cameras. But well, we would we often try to uh, upsell dreams. Upsell your dreams. So is that That's the <laughs> is that the best camera though? Like you know, because you could have anything. I mean, no, we not- I could have
2: anything. But I I, d- I would get like. First, I want something that I can easily carry. And I, I know that, I know this one. Uh, like, well, like a lot of people, in fact. I have an expensive camera that I don't really fucking know how to use. But uh, I, can ju- I can operate it. It shoots 4K. It shoots slow-mo. I've got some nice lenses for it. I think I'll take my bag of lenses that can scoop in with it. That's fair oh, enough. Uh, well, you're going to say uh, I can't. You're, no, no, mate. You're going to say, you're, you're say I can't have a power supply in a minute. Huh? Power supply. Oh, no, that comes fine. with a camera, that's doesn't fine. it? No, no yeah. lens
1: comes with a camera as well. Yeah, only one. Yeah, but it's my camera. <laughs> <laughs> as, um, it's, as it's a luxury item, I'm going to yeah, let it slide. Okay, I'm all right. So
0: uh, in terms of that, the audiovisual then, what what are some of those shows that have sort of just blown you away in terms of the what the AV has achieved? Because I, I remember seeing the uh, the Isam show, the Eamon Tobin one, yeah. which was just it, I, I had to see it twice because I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Like it's insane. The Amon Tobin show was decent,
2: wasn't it? That was oh, a step good. forward for Ninja Tune to do a show like that. I'd re- recently, I saw Floating Points at Printworks. And, you know, it can be a bit bittersweet there, actually, because I, I, I got to know Sam a bit recently and I do regard him as an absolute don. He's a really nice guy. He also has a science background, which is similar mm. to me as well. And, um, you know, he's a tweaker, but actually he's a really good musician as well. Um, and... He played this immense show to a packed place and they had these giant three projectors gunning out these immense images, um, which matched his show really well. Quite simple, but sort of audiovisual reactive stuff. Mm. Um, At Together Festival last summer, I saw a guy next to the video screens, clearly doing stuff, but he had what looked like a modular. So I thought that must be one of those LZX modulars and i went over and it was i introduced myself to stefan goodchild and he was doing these quite amazing visuals using this module it's it's, it's interesting so i asked um stefan about it and he he said yeah that's the best thing i've come up with all evening so it's like yeah you're actually experimenting live here on your video modular and it's you don't know what you're going to come up with and you patch around and you mess around and then suddenly you've got something like yeah
1: that is, but that's exciting for the crowd. That's that's, that's, well, it's exciting it's, it's DJing exciting. DJing used the, to, well, not used to, be, I don't want to be too old, man, but like, that's what DJing yeah, well, sometimes isn't. Yeah, well, <laughs> that, uh, That's exactly, yeah. and that's
2: why I'd like to bring it back to what you were saying before. What Jam is about for me is the ability to improvise and, and to improvise on my own tracks, on cold-cut tracks. So we can have, John and me can be doing uh, cold-cut tracks, and we're actually we can take it off, take a track off somewhere else. And then, because we've got these uh, patch recall systems, we can structure out the tracks, we can freak out and then it's like, right, I've gone a bit far. We've had enough of that. Bosh, back into a section where we know what we're doing. So it's that balance. You want to be able to freak out, but just chaos all the time is boring. And order is boring as well. Music, life consciousness, I believe, are sort of balancing on that razor edge between order and chaos. And it's getting that balance right. You know, what is music? It's groove, right? It's melody if you have complete chaos it's white noise there's nothing to latch onto. if you have complete order it's a sine wave it's boring very quickly so it's about exploring that that balance in between i think that's actually what life is defines life and i think it, it, it defines music as well and perhaps that's why part of the attraction of music is it's a kind of metaphor for that balance in
1: in life i think that's an amazing way to end the podcast uh, thank you so much matt for coming in it's been thank a real you, honor and a and a privilege for both of us like mm-hmm. you know yeah
2: that, thank you that was, it was a blast actually and you've helped me sort of define my uh, my retirement plan or perhaps in fact
0: i can get to the beach and, and Goa sometime soon i'll see you there amazing if you're enjoying the podcast make sure you subscribe using your favorite podcasting app and also think about rating and reviewing music text my forever studio don't forget to check back every thursday for new episodes thanks for listening